welcome to another Club Sports 10-Bit More podcast. Today's guest is Taylor Evenden. Taylor is forging a great career as a strength and conditioning coach, working within rehab in many sports, but as we will hear in a moment, predominantly his first love of soccer. Welcome, Taylor, today to the podcast. Can you quickly just explain to everyone sort of your background and development as an athlete through to your position now in strength and conditioning? Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on, on the podcast. I'm, I'm excited to, to get stuck in with you and going to enjoy it. So I guess the, the sporting experiences for me have, have been brilliant. I mean, I was born in Calgary, which is quite unique these days to find some born Calgarians and my mom and dad are from here. And, and so I started my, my youth athlete experience with Mackenzie Lake soccer club, which actually ended up turning into MUSC today with, with Paul Schultz there. And, and that's where I started in the grassroots level. And, and then I went to uh, Calgary Celtic, which actually isn't around anymore. So I played for Celtic for a couple of years and uh, some great people there. And, and then I, I finished my youth career off at Calgary Foothills with Tommy and Leon and, and uh, big Kev, Kev Francis was my, was my coach at Foothills and, and had a, had a great experience there. But I think one of my most fond memories, you know, of my youth soccer career was, uh, was the fact that my, my dad was always there. So he was always a, an assistant coach or a head coach and, and he was heavily involved in, in my youth sports career. And you kind of, you take that for granted as a kid and, and you learn as you get older, how, how lucky you were to experience that. So that's something that I'm, I'm extremely grateful for today, but I had, I had a, a wealth of great coaches growing up and they, they taught me so many things about, you know, what it takes to, to be a player as well as, as, as life skills. And that's something that, that sport often teaches us. So I, I had, I had a great experience with, with youth sport. And then I, I went on and played university soccer in Saskatchewan at U of S and, and, uh, that, that was, that was the youth sport experience. So I, I had a great do, time. Did you do any other sports or was it mainly just soccer? Yeah. So it was kind of the unique time where people were, uh, you're, you're kind of choosing a sport. So I actually really wanted to play rugby. And I remember the day going into the, the, the Hornets rugby association here and, and trying to sign up and, and we were talking to the people and they said, oh, you're playing tier one soccer. You're, you're just not going to have time. And so I, I tried that with a couple different sports where I wanted to yeah. I wanted to play and be a multi-sport athlete. But it was just that time where you, you really couldn't do it. And there's only a select few right now that are still balancing a multi-sport program. And, and it was it was difficult at the time. So I really wanted to play rugby, but I I never got into it. And then my uh, kind of side hobby was golf. So. I'm still uh, an avid golfer these days and and I try to balance uh, soccer and, and working out and playing golf. So, yeah. So what are the main sports you work with now? Is it soccer or do you venture into other areas of support? Primarily soccer. So a lot of the clubs that we support from a, a consultancy standpoint is is soccer. And then with, uh, with our rehabs, we call it our athlete reconditioning program or ARP. And our rehabs are all different types of athletes. So we're, we're yeah. seeing them you know, ACL tears, shoulder repairs, we got MPFL reconstructions, all different types of injuries. And those are coming from different sports. So it's a nice little blend where we can, we can support soccer because that's obviously the, the, the sport that I played and loved and still love. And, and then we can also kind of touch on the other side of sport and, and learn about other sports. And we, we obviously train the, the Dinos women's field hockey team as well. So that's been a, a neat sport to learn over the past four years. And it's, it's funny because I used to coach at university soccer back home in England. And one of my best players was a field hockey player. She'd never played before. So the transfer between the two is significant. The question I've got is what drew you into strength and conditioning and away from maybe the coaching side and the tactical technical side of coaching? 
Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I started, I guess I, I transferred into kinesiology at U of S and, and started a, a job as a personal trainer in the, the human performance center there. And I, I really enjoyed that because I, I had a, a blend of different people that I was working with, whether it be just uh, gen pop people, weekend warriors wanting to stay fit, or I had a, I had some soccer players there and that's where I started to, to train the Saskatchewan Whitecaps Academy. And that was kind of my first role within that industry. And then I went home for the summer, started work at, at Calgary Foothills in their sports science department under a guy named Nathan Bullock. And, and he, uh, he's one of the most brilliant strength conditioning coaches I've, I've still met to this day. And, and he's become a really, really good friend of mine and we stay in touch. And I, I really think it, it was Nathan that, that kind of showed me the ropes and showed me that there's potential within that career. And, and I, I always, you know, took note of the, the joy he had coming into work every single day and, and working under him kind of taught me the, the, the ability to be able to connect with kids. And that was, that was one of the, the things that really struck a chord. And, and I, I sat down and thought, you know, I think this is going to be something that I want to do. So I really got to give, give thanks to Nathan and my experience in that first internship with him that shaped my future for sure. It's an interesting one when you say the connection with the kids, because obviously as coaches, we come from a different angle of getting the kids to play and you're the one who's supporting them getting on the field. So can you explain a little bit about how you make that connection and how important that balance between the physical conditioning and the tech, technical and tactical development is? From yeah, I mean, when, when you talk about the the keys to coaching, I think the the, the first one that comes to mind for me is relationships. And mm. you, you have to build a relationship with your athletes. And, and that comes down to whether you're a strength coach, whether you're a sport coach, whether you're you know, mental skills, sports psych, the, the connection that you create with that athlete is just going to give you, I always say it gives us the highway to drive on. And it's, yeah. it's, if, if you have that relationship, then we're just in cruise control and we can, we can really navigate that sporting experience and, and create a positive one for the kids. So that's first and foremost is, is getting that relationship down and then communication. We, we need to communicate effectively and ensure that the athlete has a voice and what they want for their sporting experience. Cause we don't want to make robots. We don't, we don't want robots through a youth sport experience. We want them to have say and, and let them navigate the experience and we just support it. So I think that's one of the most important things and the technical tactical stuff all comes down the line, but that relationship and communication to support the athlete and, and create that positive experience, I think is number one. And to understand their needs and hopes and goals. Exactly. So in again, I know from a mental skills perspective, we were always looking at collaboration. It's, it's, it's a real challenge if I'm working in isolation from the conditioning coach and the technical coach, and we're all giving misinformation to the athlete. How do you feel your role is developed and acceptance amongst technical coaches? Because I know, again, when I started out coaching, um, the coach always wanted the final say. So do you collaborate well with and have you had any challenges collaborating with coaches and parents in terms of supporting players? Yeah, this, this is a really interesting one because it's, it's been a really cool experience through my, my young career in strength and conditioning. And in the fact that we're starting to see more and more clubs adopt strength and conditioning and sports science and, and trying to give that opportunity to their kids. And I think we're starting to see the value in, in the service in terms of protecting them from prevention and reduction of injuries and, we're starting to see more buy-in for sure. And then I think the the collaboration piece comes naturally with that buy-in and the coaches know. So all the clubs that we've 
been lucky and privileged to work with have been so great from a buy-in standpoint and coaches ask questions, but the collaboration piece that you mentioned is so key because I mean, I've had challenges with, with coaches 100% and it tends to be outside of the typical sports where it's a very specialized piece. And, and we've had experiences with athletes that are rehabbing and going back to injury. And, and that sport coach says it's either zero or a hundred and there's no in between. And so when we're trying to modify a training load and, and not spike that training volume, because that athlete's been out for a while, there's still coaches out there that, that don't understand the delicate framework of what is training volume. What is the, the, the load that we're, we're putting that athlete through from day to day, week to week, month to month. And that's a really big challenge. So I think connecting with, with all the different umbrellas in the framework to create a more sound system for that athlete is so important. And that comes down to communicating with, I mean, we're starting to do it on the physiotherapy front with, with Travis Goody joining us uh, under the Orca umbrella. And that's been brilliant because we can communicate. We see the athlete, we know from an acute care to, to mid to end stage rehab, what that athlete needs. And from the sport coaches, when the player's going back from injury, it's, it's really important to communicate what that should look like. And and luckily I, I have that soccer background so we can talk about where they should fit in within, within their training session and might just be as a target player. It might just be as a, a neutral in a, a transitional area with minimal change of direction, stuff like that. So that collaboration and communication is so important. And so the education piece from your perspective to coaches is equally important because we always get challenged about pushing someone into a game when they're not fully fit or ready to go in. I know as a coach, I've always had to listen to the AT. The AT says they're not ready. That's That takes that weight off my shoulders. But again, I imagine you would have been challenged by coaches to accelerate someone's return. Totally. I mean, especially when you get to the higher level where where jobs are on the line at the collegiate level and, and whatnot, it's, it's a balance of can we get this athlete back safely but quickly? And sometimes you are going to take a risk, especially in pro sports. Sometimes you take a risk to get an athlete back a little bit quickly because you're, you're now dealing with an asset and it becomes a business, right? And, yeah. and you obviously want it safe and sport coaches will, will tend to push the envelope a little bit and what the athlete can do. But we, we're really trying to, to bridge that education to, to have an understanding of what that looks like and, and so that, that, that sport coach is confident with that athlete coming back. And I think it's changed because we've had coaches reach out that have been brilliant on this. And they say, listen, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this goalie that's come back from injury. And she just looks like she's not moving right. Can you take a look? And then we, we've had a few conversations like that recently. And then the athlete comes in and it's like, whoa, we are far from ready for a return based off of our, our assessment. Because that's one of the things I was going to ask. When you observe an athlete for the first time, what are the key sort of indicators that you'll look at you know me as mental skills the first thing I do is I, I try and observe someone's face and see how they're perceiving things um, as a technical coach I'm looking at how they move their body in terms of playing with the ball what are this some of the key indicators that you might look at yeah when, when you're dealing with with a sport like soccer I mean we use the the term KPI so I mean same thing key performance indicators and we we tend to break that down from from the demands of the game so what is that athlete going to be going through? And then can we get that athlete to the point that they can handle that and, and succeed at that and be good at that? So when we first get an athlete, we're going to look at, you know, what, what's, what's our speed at in, in an acceleration and in a max velocity? Are we effective in our change of direction? 
do we have the, the cognitive ability to, to be able to react to situations and more of a reactive agility component. And then we're, we're really blessed to have some good technology that can outline where that athlete is from a strength standpoint, both from a force production to force absorption to, you know, strength in, in isometric joint angles and, and all these, these complex things. And so when an athlete's in front of us, we're really just looking at what are the key performance indicators of the sport and how far away from those indicators are we and what program and pathway does that athlete need to get closer to those KPIs. So really it's not even just which sport, it's even positions within the sport. Because obviously you look at a swimmer, totally different to a runner, to a soccer player, to a rugby player. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it, it changes a lot. I mean, the, the best example from a soccer standpoint is, uh, is the goalkeeper, right? We're, we're, we're often just putting them in the same program as the, the on-field players. And it's a drastically different position and, and yeah. we're, we're lucky enough and we've got Marco Carducci and doing his off season. And, and we talk about this all the time. I mean, goalies are much more frontal plane. We, we need shoulder stability in that throwing arm as well as, you know, end range extension in the arm to be able to make a save and that, that ability to produce force in that frontal plane at different joint angles is important. And so we've shaped his program and, and all of our goalies programs around the needs of that position. And I mean, your kind of center mids are going to need much more of an aerobic capacity. Your wingers are going to be a bit more elastic. And so it, it, it becomes a bit more complex. And how can we create programs that best benefits each individual and not necessarily the whole? No, that's excellent. So again, looking at that in the terms in, in relation to rehabilitation, what are some of the main mental skills that you use to support your athletes? Yeah, that's, that, that's a great question. I think we use those a lot without actually formalizing that we're using that. And it's, it's something that I think is so critical and so key within the rehab process, especially. And, and I always say to, to parents and coaches, my, my job as a, a strength and conditioning coach or, or a reconditioning coach, whatever you want to call it, is, is to pull that athlete out of the injury. And sometimes they, they ask me, what does that mean? And, and when I say pull the athlete out of the injury, Bill, Bill Knowles, who's a brilliant AT and strength coach coined that term. And, it means that that we're trying to take the athlete from a, a psychological standpoint yeah. and pull them out of that injury so that they don't even think about it. And so our goal with, especially with our ACLs is that when you return to sport, you're not even thinking about that knee. And, and oftentimes you're, you're returning a better athlete than you were before. And so we use some, some kind of mental skills, sports site questionnaires so that we can get a, an idea of what that athlete is thinking uh, there's an ACL RSI questionnaire that we use often uh, monthly towards the end stage. And then one thing that we'll use towards the end that I'm a big fan of is uh, just some vis visualization techniques. So yeah. we use a lot of those in terms of, you know, if the athlete's going through a change of direction for the first time, I, I want them to take a, take a minute, close their eyes and, and feel what that's going to imagine what that's going to feel like. And, and especially with our university guys, the dinos boys, they, they started laughing at me when, when we started doing this, but we'll do a lot of visualization in the dressing room before games. And, and it will be, uh, you know, imagine what their position is. If you're a center back, what does that tackle feel like? And not necessarily the exact motion, but what are the, what are the, what are the emotions tied to it? What does that feel like? If you score a goal, it's not what, what was the goal? How did it feel to score the goal? And yeah, you see an amazing change in these athletes when you start to tie the emotions to it. And, 
And it's, the, it's the visualization is really key. I know I've done some work with some of the boys at Mount Royal, but it's so individual specific as well. Again, like you say, but drawing in all the senses. And I know when I've talked to players about coming back from rehab, some of them are like, I'm going to get straight in now. I'm going to go twice as hard. And some are very hesitant. And you're right, it's to recreate that environment that they felt before and, and build on that. So visualization and yeah, we've used that and cue, using cue words is a, is a key one for me as well. When they feel those that negative self-talk coming in to, to change it with visualization and positive cue words. So what are some of the challenges that you've had in your experience of supporting the athletes that have come back from injury? So we've, that's one of the keys to get through. What are some of the real challenges and players who maybe really struggle to, to overcome that barrier? Yeah, I think, I mean... With that question, I always think of, whenever I think of a severe rehab case, I always think of two players that I had the opportunity to work with. And, and I know they won't mind me uh, mentioning their, their names, but one, one's Will Fiore with, with the, the dinos. And he went through quite a, a catastrophic injury and he came back and they thought it was a, a calf tear and it turned out it was an ACL. And then down the line, he went for scans and it ended up being a tumor in the bone. And so he had several surgeries, uh, a, a major biopsy to, to determine if that tumor was cancer or not. And the surgery to remove the tumor and the bone graft. And then they had another one to repair the ACL. And, and so he was a player that, you know, you, you had to support through the darkest of times and, and through the good times and, and always trying to reframe that situation. And, and he was so good through it all. He, he was so patient. He was so positive it was some, some hit, hit or miss there. And I remember going to the doctor's appointment with him to support him on that standpoint on the day that the the surgeon was going to take the scan and look at what, what that tumor was. And, and so that was, I, I still get emotional when I think about it. And, and, yeah. and we, we supported Will uh, to the point that, that he came back and he actually played his first game against you guys at, at Mount Royal. And that was a really exciting moment for me to, to be able to kind of support him through that. And, and see him play. And I, I remember I, my, my eyes were watering when he got on the pitch and he actually got smashed in a tackle that game and punctured his lung. So it was the worst, worst luck ever, um, for him, but he came back and played again and he's still a part of the program. And, and another one was, uh, a player that I had the opportunity to work with at Foothills and he had a, he had an open compound tib fib fracture where the bone came through his shin and he ended up requiring over 10 surgeries to repair that, that break. And, his mental adversity to overcome that was brilliant. So those are two cases that really challenged me as a coach to, to think outside the box and how, yeah. how, how can we support these athletes and how can we guide them from both a programming standpoint, but also from uh, a psychological piece as well to, to really, you know, I was going to say there, because you know, like how you said you support Will, it's, it's more like the personal connection outside of the realm of your your role you know going to the doctor the phone calls how you know just checking in and how's things going is as key as what you might do within the profession yeah yeah no exactly exactly and oftentimes these athletes just want to know that it's going to be okay and yeah. you know sometimes as a coach i mean i'll be brutally honest i had moments during those rehabs where i'm like i don't know if this is going to be okay and yeah. i i don't know what the outcome is because we've got some doctors saying they're not going to play again. And we've got some therapists saying, you're probably not going to play again. But the the drive from those two to, to overcome that, and, and you mentioned that negative feedback loop that you can sometimes get caught up in yeah. to uh, to get to a point that that they were okay to play was quite an experience. I, I, 
in a sense, did you work more? And, and again, I heard this in a, from a, a coach on a, on a show, and I said it about being a positive liar. Um, I use that in a sense that you you really you focus on the positives to convince your players that they can achieve an outcome in a game. Um, so in this case, you lie to yourself to lie to the athlete that of the optimistic outcome that could come. Is, yeah. is that what you just said? Rather than focus on the re- reality, you've got you've got to focus on some reality for the rehab. But you've also got to sell that sort of false hope that we can achieve this. Yeah, for sure. And, and something that we use, and I laugh at this all the time because I always say to my athletes when they come in for a consult on on what that rehab is going to look like, I I tell them we're going to celebrate every milestone of this rehab. And they they kind of they kind of laugh at that, but we really do from the the point that they first run to the point that they first drop off a box to the point that they change yeah. direction. We're literally celebrating every milestone, and that positive celebration from that milestone. I find slowly takes away a lot of the negativity that they're feeling towards their injury because they get through that milestone. They have really positive feelings. They have, you know, all of your, your emotions and those neurotransmitters that, that give us joy and, and dopamine and all those good things. They're feeling that. And so when that happens, a lot of the negativity kind of, kind of leaves it and that's pulling the injury out and they realize, okay, my, my knee didn't blow up again when I did that. And and you start to you start to see a really cool transformation with that. So with those baby steps, that that um, vision of success builds as as you go along. It's like a runaway train. I mean, I know we talked a little bit offline. We're going into our second lockdown. We've got the holidays coming up. What advice would you give to athletes, especially those coming back from rehab who are now going to be at home by themselves, but also the soccer players who or the athletes in any sport who have got four weeks now inactivity, stuck at home. What can they be doing? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because we we just we shut the lights off at the gym last night, which is a sad day. But we also reframed it to find some positives, and so we're calling it a positive pivot in under the umbrella of work and performance. That's what we've been telling our athletes. We've just got a positive pivot to go through. We're we're telling them and and really focusing on on always finding those silver linings, and that's something that I, I use in my personal life. That's something that. I've taken into work for these athletes that are that are rehabbing and and also ones that are healthy is in this situation it's fully out of our control and we need to do our best our best to find those silver linings and and you know I was in a situation where we were closing down our business and from a business owner that's a that's a really scary thought because you know for a lot of people revenue is going to plummet and it's it's not a good thing but I I said to myself as soon as I heard about the lockdown it's those athletes can't feel an ounce of negativity or an ounce of hesitation from me as their coach. I need to be able to go into that gym every single day. And as soon as I turn on the lights to the point that I turn the lights off, I am 100% there for the athletes to support them in a positive manner because they've got enough negativity right now through the media, through social media, through the politicians, through everything that we're hearing every single day and probably the talk from their parents on what's going on. And they can't have that. So that was, that was our big big rule for myself and for my coaches and my staff is that we're going to be as positive as possible and still give a great experience. And I want those athletes to laugh still when they come into the gym. I want them to smile. I want them to work and tell them that it is going to be okay. And so part of our thing is for all of our athletes that are rehabbing, we're going to connect on a a one-on-one Zoom call next week and map out what those next four weeks are going to look like. And uh, we're going to have a Microsoft Teams channel for those athletes. and, And we're going to share bits and pieces from week to week. And some of it's going to be those mental skills pieces. 
Some of it's going to be, you know, what are, what are some other techniques that we can use? And then they have a channel to individually connect with me if they have questions, concerns, comments, feelings, anything like that. And it's the same thing with the rehabs. If, if they have a plan in place, they're going to be okay. But if they don't have a plan, then, then they'll struggle. It's a great message, especially to a lot of grassroots coaches, because like I say, my concern is the players getting disconnected from the sport because there's that inactivity. And I'm suggesting that coaches need to reach out to the players, but not so much give them so much online technical work. But like I mentioned earlier, there was there's lots of things you can do, scavenger hunts, uh, bake-offs, just keep the players engaged in a positive light. For sure. Absolutely. I think it's so key. Quickly then, looking at, you know, and it's, it's interesting you saying like you you loved having your dad coach. Me being a, a coach who became a dad as well and chatting to my kids. For the parent coaches out there, can you describe with all the coaches that you've worked alongside, with all the coaches that you've had, what do you feel as a technical coach are the top three qualities that you've seen from the coaches you've experienced? Yeah, I think when I think of three things, there's there's a few few different ones because I've been really lucky to work alongside some brilliant coaches that are are amazing at what they do and they've had a wealth of experience and they've been through the game, they've been a pro themselves, they've been a I think there's there's three keys that I would probably bring up and the first is is we we kind of mentioned the first two which is relationships. Yeah. Uh the ability to connect with the athlete is I think hands down the most important one and there's a great book. I don't know if you've read it before. It's called The Art of Coaching by Brett Bartholomew. And he actually breaks down uh, a team into what he calls archetypes. You know, you, you might have an archetype like a soldier and your soldier is the athlete that's going to go to the end for you. He'll go through a brick wall for you. You tell him what to do. He's going to do it no matter what. And and then you've got, you know, the the superstar that might be a bit more kind of do what he wants himself. And you have these archetypes. And so trying to it's a really neat exercise. If you have a team in front of you, what, what are the archetypes within your team with your players? And I think as soon as you know that you're actually able to have a much more positive experience because you're going to know what each individual will need based off of their personality. And I think it's you can, because they're all going to need a different way of communicating. You, you know, you, you, some players you need to push some players you need to give the love to, and it's identifying which ones need, which. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, and I was lucky enough to be a coach as well and, and coach alongside my dad. And, and we had some, some great teams. And that was one thing that I noticed was a lot of parents are saying that it's okay to give their kid tough love. And they're like, oh, they just need some tough love. But sometimes that kid doesn't need tough love. Sometimes yeah. they need a different style to get what they need out of it. Because if you're giving them tough love and their parents are giving them tough love, then guess what? They're under this umbrella of negativity. And so yeah. sometimes they need to have a new experience and a new communication style for them to learn and, and be nurtured under. And so that's that's a big thing. But that framework from the archetypes, I think, is so key. So key. Yeah. Um, the second piece for me would be communication and, and just talking to the athletes, because as sports science, we're especially guilty of this, where we have GPS units and we have all this expensive technology to monitor training volume and training load. And, and we can do RPEs and all this stuff. But I think the the art of of just walking up to your player when he shows up to train and say, how are you? How are you feeling? How's the week? You'll, if you know your players well enough, you'll know instantly when somebody isn't right. And then from there, you can, you can navigate what that's going to look like and think the best possible route. And it might just be that they had a bad day at school. They might've gone through a breakup. They might've, you know, there's, there's a million different yeah. things and, and you, you never know what's going on. I know, I know one of the experiences I, I, I listened to Bill Bezik, who's the former uh, sports psychologist who worked with Steve McLaren. 
And he said McLaren used to go into every practice with free sessions. And first thing he'd do is sense the mood of the players and then I'd bring in that session. So if they're down, he'd bring up in a one that lifts them. And, and it blew me away that someone could adapt and bring in free sessions to meet the needs of those players at that time. That's amazing. And, and, and it is a key one. I think, you, like you say, I'm saying all the time, we don't ask the players enough. And I think the, the change, I've seen a change in my coaching where we were autocratic and this was the session, this is what you're doing. And now it's a case of asking the players and engaging what they need at that moment in time. Yeah. So, and, and, your, and your third quality? I think uh, the last one is just utilizing your your knowledge. And I think we we go through a lot of coaching courses and, and you might have your formations and your, your tactical ability. But I think the first two, the relationships and the communication is going to make your your tactical use of, of that knowledge much stronger. And mm-hmm. I think knowing how to use that in your application and adapting on the fly, I, I don't think we give coaches enough credit, especially in-game coaching for for adaptations on the fly because you sometimes need to make decisions in a split second and whether that's bringing in a, a sub that that is going to bring some energy and some legs or you know just thinking on the fly and adapting and changing is is i think a really really good quality to have and and not necessarily second guess yourself it needs to be second nature nature to make that decision and go with it so yeah really being open to every game situation every training situation yeah. again like i say when i know when i started it was very it was Coaching was a very rigid profession. This is how you do it. This is what we stop and change. And I know now it has become so fluid in in every sense. So last question I've got is, if you had a magic wand, what would you change in sport? Like I said, there has been a great reset in sport. We was on a runaway train where competition was paramount and everyone was chasing the goals and, and the, the outcomes. What was If you had that magic wand, what is the one thing you'd like to see change? That's, that's a really, really good question because I think there's lots that we could adapt and move forward with. But I think one one that sticks out for me, probably just from my experience of, within my career, is the ACL injuries. And especially on the female side, we talk about how the females are much more susceptible to tearing an ACL. And, and that from a, a psychological uh, aspect, a mental skills aspect, I mean, it's so damaging for these athletes because it's yeah. a, a year out from sport and it's a traumatic injury followed by a traumatic surgery followed by a, a long rehab. And so I think we talk about how, you know, females have a larger cue angle and they got wider hips and, and they're more susceptible. And, but I also don't think we talk about enough how they don't have the same access to strength and conditioning oftentimes as the, the male counterpart. So I would love to see more accessible strength and conditioning resources for these female athletes getting much better but i i would love to see in alberta coaches and clubs buy into the the fact that we can reduce these injuries if we manage our training volume and we manage you know some coaches want to do tournaments after tournaments after tournaments and every team that goes on a tournament i always hear about you know there there was an injury and i just hope it wasn't an acl and some and sometimes it is you know it's same as as you say that competition piece but I would just love to see more access to that for female athletes. and So it's, it's not even coaches, but even parents as well, because they're the ones who need to buy into that. Because I know sometimes you look at sport and if they're doing strength and conditioning exercises, the parents will ask, what has this got to do with the game? Yeah. Because the game is the master. But an education of conditioning and strength work at a younger age yeah, and we've we've had an amazing experience with that, to be honest. And and I took a a slight risk with our team training program with the clubs that, that we work with. And 
I said to the, I said to my staff, I said, I don't think we should be working on conditioning with these groups. If we have one hour, if we have a one hour window across the week, they can do conditioning on their own. So we're, we're, we're going to spend an hour on movement patterns, on strength, on those key pieces that can help reduce them. And oftentimes the, the original message from parents was they want their kids sweaty, rosy, cheeked, and they worked hard. And so there's some programs that are, are still operating like that, where they just want the kids to sweat because then they feel like they got something done. Whereas we're going to go the education route and we want to educate the parents and the players and the coaches that during that one hour window, your athletes might not leave sweating. They might not leave rosy cheek, but we are going to get some really good work done from a strength standpoint, from a, a movement capacity standpoint, movement ability all of those things we're going to work on. And that's, that's come from the education piece hands down. And, and initially there was some fight back, but now we're in a, we're in a really neat situation where people, people have accepted it. And then the last thing is, are we going to give those, those kids the tools to be able to support themselves outside of that one hour window? So yeah. are they going to be able to navigate a gym on their own? Are they going to be able to know what they should do on their day off from a recovery standpoint from how, how big would you say then just for the, for the listeners, how big is that? issue with ACL injuries? It's massive. I mean, we've, we've rehabbed a lot in, in 2020 and we're just wrapping up the year. And I mean, we're into the the twenties uh, of athletes that, that we've supported through that. And it's a big, big problem. And I think part of it is congestion of schedules. And I think, I think another big piece is that oftentimes we're undertrained. And when I say undertrained, we're probably overdone on the technical tactical piece and and undertrained on the physical capacity and i think we're still seeing a lot of coaches structure a warm-up that isn't going to benefit the athlete like i always say to my athletes i don't even know what the open the gate does and and we should be you know we've got seven minutes to warm up so we should be micro dosing a good strength piece in there an eccentric deceleration all these metrics that can you know we do seven minutes a day and then next thing you know we're, we're at 40 hours of warming up within a year if we do that every training session. And so that's a big thing is, is just trying to make sure that we have that framework in place for those athletes. That's brilliant. I mean, cause it does, it really emphasizes the need for that collaboration, whether it is uh, strength conditioning, rehab, mental skills, coaching, and that message has got to get to the parents. Yeah. Cause we've seen it where we've done in some of our programs, periodized sessions where we had a national coach coming in and said, we're only doing a 30 minute session for the kids. And then we'll do some video review. And the parents are like, that was a waste. Why are we here? We, we've driven an hour and my kids only run for 30 minutes. Totally alienating what the child's needs are. Yeah, and, totally. And totally. it is, it's, it's, it's key, I think, that, and that's why I say the runaway train. We were, we were just, the competition element um, was driving everything and everyone's using it to try and get recruitment and higher levels of performance. So no, that's a great message for, for the parents. I do want to thank you. This is this has been fantastic to hear from another side of sport delivery and um, maybe one a bit like with myself and mental skills. I, I liken it to the Mario Brothers. They only call us when the pipes break. And yeah. if they had us before, then they wouldn't need to call us later on. Totally, for sure. So thank you for your time um, today. I do wish all the best over Christmas. Uh, I do wish everyone all the best coming back after COVID. Let's hope we can get back out on those fields again. No, for sure. I, I really appreciate it, John. And I think these these platforms and and the podcast, and especially this one that you've created, gives a, a better opportunity for us as coaches to connect and connect on different realms that we might not uh, normally do so. So I, I appreciate it. And I thank you for, 
having this platform and, and same goes to you. I wish you all the best and Merry Christmas and, and we'll, we'll see you in 2021 for sure. So thank you again, Taylor, for such a great insight into one of the other realms of sport delivery and support. If anyone has any questions for Taylor or myself in regards to this podcast, then please reach out. There will be one more podcast before the Christmas break. So hopefully we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, let's stay safe, stay active and keep looking for that silver lining. We will get there, but let's just stay connected. Stay connected.